Hello everyone and welcome to Radically Normal. My name is Andre and I'm here with Michael. And on today's episode, we'll be continuing our journey through Exodus with chapters 25 through 27. Hope you guys enjoy the discussion. Uh, this week's just full of good news. I actually get to see Andre uh, later this week and I can't wait. Where are you going to be seeing me, Michael? I'm going to be seeing you at 5 a.m. sharp Friday morning. As long as... 5 a.m.? That's our departure time. That's unfortunate. I guess I'm not sleeping that night. (laughs) Guys, I just want to say that, you know, we have to put up with a lot around here. Uh, We started recording. We'd had our intro in. I began talking. Andre gets up to go get lotion and just completely disappears from the screen. And so we restarted. On the bright side, my face... Four hands aren't dry anymore. <laughs> yeah, because that's what you need for a good a good recording. And my face is like shining in the light. It's so moisturized now. You sound like a girl getting the right lighting on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, like I said in our intro that I actually did three times, but we'll be starting with chapter 25. And chapter 25 starts with contributions to the sanctuary. So if Michael has nothing else for the introduction... Um, no sad comments about um, what's going on at OU. With, uh, <laughs> no, hey, we- man, we got our head coach. We are, uh, I'm feeling okay. Uh, I'll just go ahead and jump right in. I'll save any troubles and go USC, I guess. But <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, starting in chapter 25 with contributions to the oh, contributions for the sanctuary. So we're going to see in the next couple of chapters, uh, the next couple episodes as well is now instructions on uh, from the Lord to Moses um, that Moses is to give to the people on, you know, first here in this first little section, um, these first nine verses, how they are to, you know, first collect resources, gold, silver, um, linens, wood, um, and other things that they're going to use to fulfill the instructions that the Lord will give on how they are to um, construct the tabernacle, construct the Ark of the Covenant. Um, This is all super, super interesting because it is a, the way which the Lord is preparing for um, the people to um, have the opportunity, have the ability to be in the Lord's presence, which is, um, you know, I think there's a lot uh, to take, you know, to take from this, um, a lot of comparisons that uh, Michael and I have made, you know, on the podcast before, um, thinking of, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, comparing that back, um, you know, to Genesis, comparing that forward to Revelation. Um, and we get to see a bit of that um, today. Um, so I guess, you know, the first thing before I let um, Michael move more into some of the instructions, and if you have any comments on this as well, you know, feel free to give those. But I think it's interesting that, you know, the first thing that the Lord says is, you know, he's not going to just bring this gold and silver and out of thin air and just show it on a, on a little pile um, for Moses, you know, much like we saw, you know, when the people needed water, when they needed bread, you know, these resources kind of appeared what, you know, it seemed like out of thin air, right? Moses had to strike a, a, a rock or, or the manna fell from the sky. And, you know, you'd think that, um, Maybe in this case as well, you know, this gold would just be found in a, a nice little hidey hole somewhere. Uh, but that's <laughs> not the case. You know, the Lord tells Moses to speak to the people and to take a contribution um, 
you know, somewhat of an offering to the Lord in which they are to, to, to use these resources um, to build up the ark, to build um, um, the tabernacle. And we see this difference. And I think that's interesting because, um, you know, the Lord wants to see them, you know, in humility, bring these, these resources forward to make that contribution, as it says um, in verse two. And I think that's, you know, really important to point out, um, you know, that distinction. And as we see that before, we see some of these instructions. Yeah. And I want to give, I want to give a couple comments. Andre said how we, uh, in the past, we've kind of made connections back to Genesis and all the way to Revelation. And I kind of, I pulled it up on my phone before we started. Um, our 44th episode was called The Best Present. And actually for the season in which that was released, it was released in December uh, of last year, uh, actually just over a year ago. And so we talked about how God's presence is seen from Genesis to Revelation. And after we talked about Eden, we actually talked about the tabernacle. And because of that, so we went Eden from the tabernacle to the temple to exile to Jesus, the church, and then new heaven and new earth. And the reason is because the tabernacle is seen as their people are constructing a new Eden in which God will dwell particularly there, just like he did in Genesis chapter 2. And so while they can seem like they're just boring instructions to people, I'll, I'd just say two things. One, if we're excited about reading about the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 and about the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21 and 22, we should be excited about reading about the tabernacle in Exodus 25. The second thing is that you? the more you dive into this text and really study the details, the more interesting it'll be. If you just skim over it in the Bible reading, it I will agree, it is not as intriguing. But the more you study the finer points and how it relates to what is going on here, uh, the more you see the beauty of it. And that's key of, of what's going on here. Because think about Exodus is 40 chapters, and we get five to six chapters on this front end right here, beginning in chapter 25 of how to build it. And then we get chapters 35 through 40 on them fulfilling these instructions. So clearly to Moses, it's important if he's going to lay all of these things out. So like Andre said, we see here that uh, we begin with contributions. So the people are to take and they are to participate with what they bring. And the only other comment before I hand it back off to Andre is that verses 4 through 7 appear to be the content of their contribution. And we actually see things that are interesting, like gold and onyx, um, which are referenced back in Genesis. And so in Genesis 2, and it's almost as if there are linguistic connections to, hey, this is like a new Eden and the purpose of bringing all of the things in the contribution verses four through seven, the goal is in verse eight, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. And God's presence we know is essential to us living as he intended. That's really good. And I guess like a last point is um, at least one thing that I thought of is, is, you know, obviously the people were, you know, enslaved in, in captivity in Egypt. And then we, you know, you know, we saw how when they left, you know, Egypt, the Egyptians, you know, gave them gold, gave them silver, gave them all these, you know, riches and all that that they took out with them. And then, you know, we saw, you know, some of like the plundering and all that. I think it's, it's interesting, at least for me to think about, you know, the language of Yahweh earlier on in Exodus and how now it's safe to assume that a lot of this gold that came out of Egypt is now being used to, to build the ark. Mm -hmm. um, a bit of poetic justice there that, that I, you know, I really enjoyed as, as I was reading it, you know, especially thinking back to, to the language used, you know, earlier on. But then we get into uh, verse 10 with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, 
If you don't and... mind, just one just one comment. Uh, verse 9, the Lord says, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern, so you shall make it. And so its key is Andre's about to jump into verse 10, uh, which is one of the most important sections in this entire uh, recording today. And it's key because this is going to be repeated over and over. They have to obey it exactly as God says it. And then, yeah, so we, we jump right in with, we see dimensions, um, specific materials that are supposed to be used um, to build um, the ark, you know, as we're going to see, you know, throughout on these three chapters um but we see you know make it this many cubits um high this many cubits long uh, make this of gold make that of gold um we also see you know in 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 verse 12 that there's going to be four rings of gold and we see this discussion of rings throughout um you know as a means to like hold things together um attach things in this case they're going to use those rings to put um two rods they're going to be able to be used um you know, as a means to carry the ark um, and how, you know, they're going to be able to transport it. And we see, you know, it's going to be made in gold, cast in gold, um, you know, all the way around. And, you know, why are these, you know, dimensions and, and why are all these things and, and how they are to carry and why is it so specific? Um, you know, and why, as we get to, you know, verses 16 and 17, you know, we see, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I, sh that I shall give to you. We see the reason why this isn't so, so important and, and, you know, continuing on to verse 17 is because, you know, this is actually, you know, the way where, you know, Yahweh is actually going to be able to surrounding, you know, the people who, um, you know, who, you know, to whom um, belong to him, right? So the way how Israel will actually be able to, you know, interact with Yahweh is through, you know, the ark of the covenant, through, um, you know, all of these um, different, you know, the table, the the mercy seat, you know, this is how they're going to be able to make their offerings to, to Yahweh. This is how they're going to be able to communicate. This is how Yahweh is, is saying that he's going to um, continue communicating. And that's why it's so specific. That's why it has to be um, exact. That's why it has to be perfect um, is because it's actually going to be, you know, this um, residence place, this home for, for Yahweh. I'm now in this, in this new mode of, of, of how he is going to interact, you know, with the people. Oh, that's such a good overview. Uh, the only other thing I'll add on that first section about the ark is in verse 14, uh, Andre talked about the rods, and we have instructions on how to carry it. You're going to put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And what's interesting is in 2 Samuel 6, um, it appears that the people are celebrating from in front of the Lord um, for what he has done. And Uzzah puts out his hand to touch the ark. And um, the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, it says, and God struck him down. So the purpose of, and we're going to see this as we continue today, there's, there's ways to carry things so that you're not touching what is meant to be uh, holy. And so then we get to what Andre just described as the mercy seat uh, in verses 17 through 22. And honestly, I kind of view the mercy seat in these three chapters for today as like the peak, like the climax. It's like the mountaintop of the entire part because it's the mercy seat where the whole, once the priest entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, uh, this is where the sacrifice was made. And what's interesting is, so the mercy seat is going to be positioned above the ark, uh, which we're actually going to see later in uh, the text today. And so then on the, on the mercy seat, we have that the cherubim are on the two sides. And so cherubim are heavenly creatures, um, and they are present as though the heavens have made their collision with earth, and God has 
Uh, it's almost as though God and what he is surrounded by in the heavenly picture we get in scripture has actually become reality in the Holy of Holies. And so uh, what's really interesting is so in verse 20, though, we see that the cherubim have their wings spread out. They're overshadowing the mercy seat. Their faces one to another, and their faces are towards the mercy seat. I just noticed this for the first time reading it this morning. The, the cherubim are gazing at the mercy seat. So it's not as though the heavenly reality, the cherubim themselves, are the focus, but they're actually focused on where man comes to dwell with God. So the cherubim's gaze, it's though they're saying the center of attention is this mercy seat because it's what is going to be the focal of establishing communion between God and the people. And without this mercy seat, that would not be possible. And, uh, and I'll just throw this in there real quick. In Romans 3.25, in the CSB translation, they translate it as God has presented Christ as a mercy seat by his blood because Jesus has become that atoning sacrifice that would occur on the mercy seat. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about, you know, this section here is, and, you know, verse 22, you know, puts it so beautifully that, you know, you know Yahweh is going to meet with with them right he's saying to moses I, I will meet with you um this is like as michael said like a, a communion between yahweh um and the people of israel and i think that's you know really great especially because you know we see this is you know where they're going to be making those those sacrifices and we see that yahweh is going to meet them you know at the point of where um they make this effort um to you know this effort towards you know atonement right and that's making themselves right with God is, is where God will meet them um, and, and be able to have that communion with them. And then we kind of, if you have nothing else about um, the Ark, Michael. Just one thing. I think, I think it's interesting. In 1 Samuel 4, the Philistines capture the Ark, and we get this really good summary. I think it's in verse 4 of that chapter, but it says that it summarizes this verse kind of, and it says that God is enthroned between the cherubim. And I think that's the picture we get here. But yeah, we can move into the, the table for the bread. Yeah, then then we get into, yeah, the table for the bread in verse uh, 23. And here we see again, you know, more instructions, um, how they're going to carry the table, how they're going to build this table. And we see that, you know, what's going to happen here is in verse 29 kind of lays it out, um, you know, how they're going to make plates and dishes for incense and the bowls, um, and all of these things. And here is where we see, you know, this is where they're going to hold all of the, the instruments, all of the things that they need to perform these offerings at that mercy seat, you know, and we see that, you know, this is where they're going to, to set and, you know, those offerings, the, the bread and the drink, um, those, you know, communion offerings, you know, for the Lord. And it says, you know, they're going to prepare this regularly. This is where they're going to prepare um, the offerings where they're going to, you know, be able to you know, set up these offerings in a, in a way that's that's pure, you know, and make those things ready for the Lord, um, you know, in the in the presence of of those of that you know offering a mercy seat that we've talked about. Yeah, and I I like that you brought it back to mercy seat because, um, and I think people need to. Uh, this is super helpful for me. The first time I ever read this, I didn't I didn't I couldn't visualize it. And so the ESV Study Bible or just a ton of great resources online. If you Google, I'm sure you can find something great within 30 seconds. There's a there's a great depiction of the tabernacle. And so we were just talk and so this helps us visualize it. We have to at least if not we're going to if we're not going to see it visually, 
uh, through God's great resources of, of print and internet, we can at least try to visualize. And so before we were talking about the mercy seat, which was going to be, which we're going to see later today is in the most holy place. But now with the table for the bread, we're actually moving outside of that most holy place where the priest would enter once per year. And now we're just in the holy place, which is right outside of it. And so, uh, the golden lampstand is, uh, also going to be there, but yes, right now the table for the bread is there and it's to be there regularly and i think one exodus commentator actually said something like it appears that in this most holy place like with the table for the bread it's almost like things you would expect to be in a house as though like it will be in the temple god is making his house here with israel and i think that's really cool no that is that is really really interesting and like you know we see the, the bowls and the plates um kind of like you said and these are you know the things that um are going to be you know vital to you know performing those those offerings and, and that's why it's so important and we see that they're going to be, you know, pure gold and, and all of that. And then we see the golden lampstand and starting in verse 31. And, you know, we see, um, again, the instructions of how, of how they are to make it. And we see, um, as Michael pointed out, that um, this lampstand is going to be uh, in, the, in the same places as this table, um, you know, right outside uh, where the where the Ark of the, of the Covenant is. And, and, and we're going to see... Um, you know, this mention of, of the lampstand is interesting, um, especially because, you know, how it, how it lights up um, this place, you know, right outside what's separated, you know, within uh, the curtain of, of where God is, right? And so we see that outside of, of where that, you know, curtain is going to be, this is what's going to actually illuminate, you know, that table where the preparations are going. Whereas we see that that's not, you know, within that, that curtain, um, that it talks about the curtain that separates um, the ark, as Michael mentioned, you know, the, the most holy place. And I think that's interesting that it's, you know, outside within the, the most holy place, you know, we see multiple mentions um, earlier on in Exodus of how, you know, in God's presence, there's that illuminating light, right? And I, I'm not entirely sure if I'm hitting this um, right, but I think it was interesting to me to see that that lampstand needed for that that light source is is not inside of there whereas in the most holy place you know i would assume there would be that you know illuminating light and we see kind of that distinction between the holy place and the most holy place as well as how important you know specifically the setting of the table and you know the lampstand is to making sure that those things are right uh, for when the priest does enter um into god's presence and so that you know the priest doesn't um, end up dying from you know not performing these outlined um instructions correctly yeah that's all super good and i love i love how you talked about the functionality because clearly the lampstand would be important and then just kind of to move kind of in an overview of theology of the lampstand too i think it's i think it's key that i mean we see these branches and we've talked before about the tree of life in in genesis and we've also talked about how in that, I think that episode I referenced earlier, how we see the tree of life appear again in Revelation 22. But what's cool is that the lampstand actually reminds us of the tree of life. It's like there's been a new tree of life established. We have these these branches. And um, Douglas Stewart says, it's kind of funny. He says, why should anyone care whether the lampstand was designed to look like an olive tree with almond flowers or like an almond tree only or neither? He says, the answer is that a lampstand made to resemble an olive tree with almond blossoms would symbolize three things at once, God's provision, Israel's nationhood, and miraculous divine deliverance. And then he goes into explaining each one of those. But I think it is key that we see it's like a tree of life is being 
established here and like just like there's abundance of food when god is present and providing for his people and they're following him as they should um and that's how it was in eden now just like there's trees in eden and there were trees once they had sung the song of worship in exodus 15 now there's a central tree uh demonstrating life and god's presence and so uh just to go with uh, this lampstand, one more time, uh, Douglas Stewart also says, like I said earlier with the home, it's as though, you know, you look inside, you see somebody's fireplace burning, or you see somebody's light on, and it means they're at home, and Yahweh's at home with his people. That's really good. And then if there's nothing else for chapter 25, moving on into chapter 26, uh, which is one um, long section of uh, about the tabernacle. And... Uh, so if you have nothing else on chapter 25, then we can jump right into 26, Michael. Yeah, let's do it. So in chapter 26, uh, so unlike 25, so 25, the ESV, the NIV, CSB, they give a lot of like cutoffs and they label like, here's the lampstand, here's the Ark of the Covenant. 26, I, I think I checked the ESV and the CSB, but both translations just, it's just one text all the way through. But I think that we can make some key um, distinctions to 26, 1 through 14 being primarily about, in my view, uh, the curtains, 15 through 29 being more about the framing of the tabernacle, maybe architecturally, structurally, uh, verse 30 solely being about the end result of those, uh, curtains and frames being that the tabernacle can stand up, it's erected. And then 31 through 35 being key about how the most holy place is set apart, uh, for the Lord. So that kind of be my overview. And we kind of begin here, like I said, and I'll hand it off to you speaking about the curtains. Yeah. But I thought two things that are the most interesting about the curtains was, was one, we see, you know, again, the instructions how to do it. And we see that there's going to be, uh, the cherubim, um, you know, woven into those curtains and, you know, that, you know, shows that, you know, distinction that, you know, protection, um between what it is covering which is going to be um the ark and i really enjoyed um the picture um included in, in michael's notes which isn't included in my bible but um i'm not really <laughs> sure if you have that online or, or in your bible or what yeah but, so it's so just to say that this picture that i sent andre it's i believe it's in the esv study bible but if you just search on, I think it's on Google. I think on Google you can just search Tabernacle ESV, and it should be right there on Google Images. And it's just a great picture of the Tabernacle uh, tent. So, and you can kind of, you know, see these these um, you know cherubim woven in, and, and you can see the colors, and it's really really great. But what's even greater about it is, is you can see how clear it is that it is, um, you know, going to be shielding or covering or you know completely um, setting the the ark apart, um, you know, from the rest, you know, of, of, um, of the tabernacle. And we see how, how crucial that is because, you know, despite, um, Yahweh making, you know, this most holy places, as, as Michael said, a, a place where we're going to see that communion between God and, um, and man and, and the offerings that, um, the priest will be able to make, um, to Yahweh. Um, also, as Michael pointed out, you know, we, we know that that, um, interaction is only to happen, um, you know, at these specific, at the specific God appointed time. Um, and, and we see that, you know, in order to be able to accomplish this, they're going to have to follow all of these um, specific, um, you know, rules and, and specifications on how they are to build all these, 
know, different types of things that as we've seen. And, and then, you know, if you add the, the, the you know, specific timing component um, to it, we can see that as, you know, this, this veil that's covering the arc and covering, you know, where Yahweh is going to be, uh, we see how, you know, it really adds more magnitude to the fact that, um, that despite having this opportunity to be in the presence of Yahweh, it's only going to be at a specific time. It's only going to be, um, you know, the high priest. It's only going to be through these specific protocols. Um, it's it's not just enter at will. It's as we see in this picture, the the um, the curtain that that's covering this um, at all times. They can't just go and touch it, as Michael said. Um, they can't just you know go in there whenever they want. Um, there's specific ways in which um, the people are to approach um, the ark um, that's lined out here, um, you know, making you know themselves right as and you know the surroundings um, as Yahweh um, has instructed um, before they can just you know go in there as they please. And I think that that, that um, you know the picture really even like displays that even more. At least when I saw it, that was that was the you know the key thing that that I noticed. You know, seeing that purple. Um, you know, curtain covering all that and, and, and seeing how, you know, this isn't something that, um, you know, you can just like see through or, or, or whatever we, we see, you know, the curtains all um, attached to each other, you know, with those, um, with the loops and, you know, there's going to be multiple of the curtains um, together and all of that. And, and I really like that in the picture and, and seeing that clear distinction between uh, what's, what it's covering and, and what can be, you know, inside versus outside of, of what, what the curtain is, 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 um, is shielding yeah and i uh you know sometimes it's just like the lord is definitely present because uh, the next thing i wanted to actually talk about that you finished with was on the colors and so uh, if you've ever studied ancient history you kind of know colors of royalty and so royalty is symbolized and depicted uh often in um in purple and in uh and sometimes blue but that's more related to divinity i think but certainly the purple curtains reflect the fact that god is the royal king who is over israel it's not as though moses is the highest man he is a mediator and he is a leader but god is the royalty here and then god is also divine shown in the blue color and so that's kind of what we see. I thought Andre did a great job explaining it. I do want to make one connection that I think is kind of interesting uh, that I noticed this summer when our group was studying the book of Revelation. And it's that in chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation, this there's this great city. Uh, it's a picture of spiritual Babylon, which I interpret, uh, I think along with uh, Greg Beale, to be basically this religious and economic state or system throughout the ages of all time, not just futuristic, but of all time. This, so it can be expressed in governments and organizations and whatever throughout all of time that participate and lead people astray in idolatry while pushing against the kingdom of God. And so what's interesting, though, is in chapter 18, verse 16 of Revelation, it says that this heavenly, not heavenly, sorry, this great city, spiritual Babylon, is clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and pearls. And I wonder if it's pointing us back to the tabernacle and telling us that it's as though spiritual Babylon is offering its own uh, dwelling uh, for people. It's offering its own own hope of false Eden. And so I just, I don't know if that connection is supposed to be there, but I think it's interesting to ponder. 
So I think those are key themes to see here, that the blue and the purple really do matter, that there's connections to the rest of the scripture. Uh, and then, but coming back to the text, so we've kind of talked about the curtains, and Andre's given us a good overview of the loops and the clasp and how that's going to fit together as we visualize what it looks like. And then we get to verses 15 through 29, which appears to me to focus solely on the framing and the structure so that they can actually build this up and it will stand. Yeah, that's really good. And we see, um, we've, we've seen actually, you know, all the specifications on, um, you know, how they are to, you know, build the ark itself and, and the curtains and all that, as Michael said. And, and we know that, you know, the people probably need some instructions on, on, on how to actually do, you know, the woodworking um, behind um, how they are to, you know, actually build up this structure um, for the tabernacle. And, you know, we see that, you know, if you pull up the picture, as Michael pointed out, you know, this, this structure surrounding it is, is a lot bigger. Um, it's pretty huge compared to, to, you know, the, the most holy place itself. Uh, and I think that this is important because, you know, first of all, we see that this is going to be a big effort, you know, to build this. Um, and now we start to see, you know, how they're going to actually build the framing for it. Um, you know, the, the different posts that are going to, they're going to hold it up, how they are to, you know, the materials are to use to build these things. Um, building the bases out of silver, um, as we see, um, and we see, um, you know, having, um, you know, how the, the the frames actually go together to provide this protection for, you know, what's inside and how important um, that really is. And then also, um, you know, last point is we see a lot of um, how they're building the frames um, out of this acacia wood. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Acacia, and, uh, yeah, something like Acacia. that. And, you know, actually looking that up, I, I thought it was interesting because of, you know, just some of the the properties of this wood uh, and, and you know, just how carefully selected it was. You know, it was just a really nice piece of, of wood. And This is the it, chemical engineer coming out in Andre. <laughs> in the area of the world where they're at, but it's not just like like plywood or something, you know. This is like some, <laughs> some thick, heavy, heavy-duty wood and the one specific thing, the one property that I, I, I found that I really, really liked is that it's not easily scratched. It's not an easily damaged wood. That's and interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. And I think, you know, that <laughs> at least to me is super, super interesting because um, it's, you know, along with it being a super, you know, pliable and, and waterproof and all that, but it's not easily scratched. And I think that that's something like really key just because, um, at least in my head, I'm thinking, you know, you know, you always really instructing them to build, you know, the framing for what's going to protect what's inside out of silver, um, out of gold, out of bronze, and and not just that, but this wood that's not going to be able to, you know, just be like damaged and and look bad. This is going to be something that lasts. It's going to be something that looks good. It's going to be something that's 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 marvelous, right? And and that kind of is what I what I got out of out of instructions on 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 the framing and the exterior of what what's going to be, you know, containing all of this. Man, I have nothing to add to that, and I have to say I didn't know anything that specific about acacia wood, and uh, you learn some every day, and I think that's cool that it's not scratched because it speaks to the beauty and the more of the permanence and how specific and, and beautiful the place is supposed to be. I think there's a beauty and a holiness to God's to God's dwelling, and so verse 30 is kind of like, to me, the culmination of the first 29 verses that once they have the curtains and especially once they have the, the framing, they can now actually erect the tabernacle. It can, it's meant to stand up. It's not going to just, they're not going to put all the things together and then it's going to sit on the ground it's going to be structured and built up as in one integrated 
piece. And then in verse 31, we kind of transition to where we already were back in 25 because we see that a new veil is made. Remember, same colors, purple, uh, scarlet, blue, and fine twined linen. And, it, and then they're going to weave the cherubim into it. And this is going to separate off the most holy place. That's what we see in verse 33 uh, from the holy place. And so then they're going to bring in verse 34, just to summarize, they're going to bring in the Ark of the Covenant into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies at some time, or we often call it. And then they're going to, the, the mercy seat sits with the cherubim on the two sides on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the cherubim are gazing at the mercy seat as though it's the focal point of attention. I think that's key. And so... But then in verse 35, the table set outside of the veil, the lampstands outside. So those are just in the holy place. And what's specific here, and I don't remember where I first heard this or read this, but when in verse 31, when the cherubim are etched into this veil, uh, blocking off the most holy place, it's as though the cherubim are guarding the, the way back into the presence of the Lord. And so it's just like in Genesis 3, near the end, when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden into exile, away from God's presence, the cherubim with the flaming swords guard the way back into Eden, as though if they go back into Eden, the swords are going to fall, there, they'll die. They can't go back in. And it's like the cherubim are going to be guarding symbolically the way back into the presence of the Lord. Um, so we kind of get more Eden imagery uh, here to wrap up the chapter, but I think it's key to recognize that we are getting these distinctions. The holy place is there, the most holy place is there, and then the screening is made to close out chapter 26. And what's interesting is in, ver in chapter 27, we actually move outside of the uh, the picture that Andre and I have been looking at outside of the, the tabernacle proper, which is the most holy place and the holy place. And we move into the outer courtyard of the tabernacle, which is where the bronze altar is and all of that stuff. And what's key about that is that it's no longer made of gold. Since it's no longer in the most sacred space, the material is actually of lesser value than as if it were inside the holy place and needed to be of utmost beauty. Instead, it's supposed to show this uh, delineation. It's supposed to show that this place is less sacred. It's not made of gold anymore. It's made of bronze. And so that's where we get to with chapter 27. But bro, do you have any more comments on chapter 26? No, I just, yeah. One, one last thing is I think that, you know, 31 to the end is like, it does a really great job of, of summarizing as, mm -hmm. as you said, like everything that we've seen so far. And, you know, I think that's, um, it, it kind of like continues to, you know, it's a summary, yes, but it's also like kind of like this like conclusion that comes yeah, out of yeah. it. Like, you know, you know, I've given you all these instructions. Now set it up this way. You know, do it this right way. Um, and it's basically like, you know, all these things are what's going to enable you to to come to Yahweh. And you know, if you don't do it in the way that Yahweh wants, it's not like one of those situations where, um, you know, maybe you can do it how um, some some guy wants and and it'll still work out and and Yahweh will will give you a little pat on the butt and 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 continue on it's like <laughs> no like that's not one of the cases here these are some very specific instructions and if you don't do that um you know Moses you're not going to be able to come in and and communicate we're not going to be able to have this communion we're not going to be able to continue on on this relationship without having um you know this perfect um you know, this perfect, um, most holy, most holy place. And then, yeah, getting into um, the courtyard surrounding it, um, starting with chapter 27. Nice little page flip. Um, but starting in uh, chapter 27, we're going to see, you know, as Michael said, um, a shift in focus 
I mean, now we're going to see, you know, the, the outer parts, um, you know, just like you mentioned, now we're, we're seeing this, um, this part made out of bronze I mean, and how now, you know, all the places, um, you know, the loops and, and, and the coatings and, and, and gold, now these are transferred over to bronze. Um, as Michael mentioned, um, now not in the, in the holy place or in the most holy place, um, you know, we see this, this change in material, maybe they just ran out of gold, who knows? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but we get, but we do um, get to see um, how, you know, it, it's not just, um, you know, the most holy place in the, in the holy place, but also, you know, the Lord wants there to be a place surrounding it um, where, you know, the rest of his people um, can be. And um, because, you know, they can't go into the innermost um, parts of, um, you know, of this, of this holy, of this holy space. Um, and so I think that's, um, you know, really interesting, um, you know, to see that, you know, not just the holy places discussed, but also where, you know, the rest of God's people can, can be and, and can partake in. Yeah, I think that's key. And I think that it's interesting that there is both consistency and, um, some sort of, of change because obviously we're not in as much of a sacred space. We are, I mean, still clearly with the Levitical laws in Leviticus, we're going to still need for there to be cleanliness and holiness amongst the people, but we're not in the sacred spaces though. We're in the Holy of Holies where only the priest goes once per year. Instead, we're in this outer courtyard. And so there's consistency and that it still needs to be a clean place. We're going to see in Leviticus. And, uh, one thing that I saw is that just like I said earlier, uh, similar to other items, and uh, that poles are still going to be need to needed to carry these sorts of things, such as with uh, the bronze altar here. And so we kind of see consistency. It's going to need to be carried the same way. We're still going to need cleanliness amongst the people. This is still in the tabernacle confines. It's just not in the tabernacle proper with the holy place and the most holy place. And so there's both consistency and change. And that's why, in, starting in verse 9, we get the court of the tabernacle, and almost to the end of the chapter is uh, descriptions on the hangings and then uh, the outer parts of the tabernacle uh, being uh, bronze, and how this is basically setting apart the courtyard from the camps around, because as we're going to see at the beginning of Numbers, there's a specific specific way in which Israel is actually going to camp around the tabernacle. And so this is kind of the most outer part that separates everything else. Israel is going to camp around it, and it's, it's as though God is camped right in the middle of his people. Because there's going to be three camps, three tribes on each side. Three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west. And, the, and God is camped right in the middle in his holy dwelling. And yeah, I think that, you know, one last thing is um, if you could provide a bit more description on the hangings, I wasn't quite um, you know, sure exactly what those were referring to. Maybe linen type things, you know, hanging and separating. I'm not sure. So yeah, just a little bit more detail on, on the hangings. And so that seems to be, to me, the focus of solely verses 9 through 15 before we get this transition to, to there being a bronze. And so... This description of the courtyard, it begins in verse 9, like we've said, and it starts with two longer sides, which I think are the, the south and the north ends, and uh, they are approximately like 150 feet long, I'm pretty sure, and so there's going to be these these posts, and uh, they they could have been made of acacia wood, Andre already gave us a great description of what that is. And, but we don't. We're, I don't think we're for sure on that either. But there's these posts, and then the curtains are are overlaid uh, with this twisted linen, and so. 
The instructions are a little less clear here on exactly how each part of this is constructed, rings, loops, all of that sort of all that sort of detail. But it seems to me that there are posts around the edges of the courtyard of the tabernacle um, for the dimensions, and then um, the, these these hangings or curtains are things that go around the post that that delineate the outside. So you kind of have like this outer fence, and to me it appears that. Uh, not, I mean, fence, It's it, there's wood posts, but it, it appears to me that with this enclosure, there's curtains around the outside of it that hang on the wood posts. I don't know if that helped at all. No, it's, <clears throat> no, it's really good. And um, I guess if there's nothing else on, on the courtyard, um, besides that, you know, I will say that, um, you know, we see, you know, the one last thing with the, you know, the utensils and and um, how everything that is used is to be of bronze as well. Um, you know, everything of use uh, for the tabernacle is to be of bronze as well. So basically everything in there has to be um, of bronze um, and, you know, is already going to be there. It's going to be, you know, these set apart um, items. Um, but that also is kind of, you know, reminds of, of the earlier uh, chapters where we saw, um, you know, the plates and all that of silver. Um, so we see kind of uh, a connection there. And then moving on into oil that the people are to bring, um, the people of Israel are to bring um, the olive oil um, to light um, of the lamppost. And we see lastly that um, Aaron and his sons are going to tend to it um, from evening to morning. And and then, you know, we see that this, this lamppost is going to be, so it's going to be on um, continuously and the reason for that is it's going to be, you know, observed by the people of Israel um, throughout their generations. We see in um, in verse twenty one. Hey, when hey when you go to uh, when it's when it's nighttime and you're sitting in bed, when do you turn your light off? Mm, usually not consistent, but usually right before I'm about to go to sleep. Right. And so I think that it is it could be thought of almost as if people then they'd have these these lamps, but they wouldn't keep the lamp in, in with the oil running necessarily because they'd be going to bed just as a, as though uh, if you know, you don't just pass out with your light on. I mean, typically people turn their light off before they go to sleep. But Yahweh isn't a human being. He isn't less conscious or sovereign during the night than he is during the day like we are we are definitely more active and doing things in the day but Yahweh is present just as much in the nighttime as he is in the day and so it's essential that they keep the the lampstand running day and night and the only other thing I'll say is I kind of said that we don't have as many in-depth instructions to go on with the hangings about the question Andre asked me and it's kind of interesting to me because the, if you think about it visually, the courtyard itself is actually a lot bigger than the than the tabernacle. Um, it's much larger. It's much longer. Um, but relative space in the book of Exodus, it gets way less attention. I mean, we had just as many details just on the mercy seat alone or just on uh, the lampstand alone. And so it's as if it's saying, yes, this might be bigger, but of relative importance, it's less. Because what is key is the, the holy place and the most holy place where God would be. So it might be bigger, but it's less significant. And so I think how long the authors spend on certain things does key us into what we need to be paying attention to. And for how big it is, it gets way less detail because it's less important too. And so, yeah, just in conclusion of 27, um, there is oil. It needs to be burning day and night because Yahweh is with his people and awake, reigning over them day and night. And then we get to chapter 28. 
Uh, so jumping right in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just wanted to scare Michael, but yeah. So we're ending on chapter 27. Um, I have nothing else, and if you don't either, Michael. Um, hope everyone who's listening enjoy the discussion and come back next week for chapters 28 through 31. Yes. Uh, yep. 28 through 31. I will just say, if you're just thinking any connections to the New Testament, I have a lot. I have a lot saved in my notes for for next week's episode. I will just say, in John 1:14, it says Jesus dwelt among us. The the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek is the translation from the word tabernacle. It's as if tabernacle is made a verb. Jesus tabernacled among us, and so God's presence has been made real in the same way with beauty and with holiness in the Lord Jesus. And so yeah, we'll be back next week with Exodus chapters 28 through 31. We hope you all have a great week. Bye.